You're listening to Black Neon Digital Podcasts, Episode 10, Alicia Taylor, Gather and See. I'm your host, Jodie Muter-Hamilton, and it gives me great pleasure to welcome you to our first podcast of 2018. I'm very much looking forward to this year. Although not without uncertainty ahead, we have the chance to shape things, to create opportunity for business built on trust and transparency, and channel our energy into something positive. I believe the future of fashion is to embrace innovation and technology whilst honouring craftsmanship. Black Neon Digital gives a voice to the founders and visionaries shaping the future of fashion. Come with us on the journey via Instagram at Black Neon Digital, Twitter at Digital Neon and at blackneondigital.com. Also, be sure to subscribe to our podcasts and if you've enjoyed the show, please rate and review us in iTunes as it helps other people like you to find us and spread the word. Ultimately, it all comes down to friendship or perhaps simply love and respect. Love and respect is what binds Alicia Taylor and Steph Hogg together in their journey from school friends to co-founders of Gather and See the online ethical fashion boutique founded in 2014. Love and respect are the guiding principles that are used to select products for Gather and See. Do we love the product in terms of style and design? And has it been made in a way that respects people's well-being, future development and the environment that we are all responsible for? Since launching in 2014, the way in which people view ethical fashion has begun to change for the better. Style isn't compromised for ethics and ethical can mean luxury. From being the first to bring overseas brands to the UK and now to being one of the few retailers stocking the same brands, the question for Gather and See is how do they evolve without losing their identity they've worked so hard to build? Knowing who you are and where you're going whilst working with your best friend who you love and respect sounds like a winning combination to me. Good morning, Alicia. Thank you so much for coming down today. Um, could you just start off with a little bit about you, your um, sort of career before Gather and See and your friendship with Steph? Because obviously you two started this together and I know you're old friends. So Yeah, absolutely. So Steph and I met way back when we were about the tender age of about 13, 12 or 13 at school. Um, I think we instantly bonded over fashion, funnily enough, but probably acupuncture trainers and, I don't know, Topshop baggy jeans at that stage. Um, We instantly kind of hit it off and and we've been lifelong friends ever since. Um, I think roll on a few years, aged about 18, we went travelling together, which opened our eyes to lots of things. And actually, in some sense, I think that was the beginning of, of Gather and See. I think going to, we actually went to South America is where it started off um, and came across beautiful artisan products um, and seeing them being made firsthand. Um, really luxurious products being made in actually Bolivia, which is one of the poorest countries in the world. Um, and I think that maybe triggered something in both of us. Um, what it, specifically was it that you... It was, you know about that particular situation I think Mm. it was just how beautiful the products were and thinking oh my god imagine how well these would do at home and even recognizing that at 18 I actually brought a load of stuff back with me in my suitcase and we shifted some of it at Portobello Market um 
and seeing the difference in what I bought it for and what we were able to sell it for and the quality. And I think something struck a chord there anyway. Um, and we, we've been talking about that idea. It evolved, obviously, greatly. Mm. Um, but that was a, a starting point for us. Um, I think going back, my dad's a farmer, my mum's a fashion journalist, so it's a kind of weird mix, but one that made me think a lot about where things come from, from a natural, from nature and, and that point of view, and also this exposure to quite high fashion from a young age, um, and that incredible glamorous world, um, and I think that's kind of was that starting point for me personally anyway quite interesting dinner table uh, discussions there <laughs> yeah complete I think my dad must be the only farmer in the country that has kind of the global fashion weeks in his diary a long time kind of lambing season you know? um but it was yeah I think from my viewpoint it just it just started from that very young age um I guess an interest in how the two work together and perhaps where fashion comes from from the very from farm yeah very bad yeah. yeah seed to seed yeah. to garment I suppose um and Steph's background um she traveled around a lot as a child she lived in Africa a lot um so I think she had a, a kind of interest in perhaps the social aspect of fashion from a young age and and the kind of possibilities fashion could ha perhaps have the power fashion could mm -hmm. perhaps so the have. change that it can bring to people exactly anyway so this conversation sort of started age about 18 um we then both went off to university um what did you study there? I studied history so completely <laughs> unrelated but um at the same time I think there's something I have a big interest in narratives I guess and that's what history is all about and and sort of and people and yeah I'm yeah. um, following um trends I suppose as well and and seeing long-term consequences of, of things happening and I think yeah that maybe has played into it as well um Steph studied social anthropology which is perhaps a little more relevant um at Goldsmith so we're both in London um post-university I went I actually went into um I guess a more of a corporate fashion route, I worked at LVMH, which was an eye-opener um, in itself, working for a kind of huge luxury um, goods company. Um, what I was, specifically were you doing? I was it? working in marketing and PR, okay. so that was where that side of it started, I suppose. Um, I worked there for two years on incredibly high-end watches, <laughs> scarily priced watches, actually. Um, and from there, I went on to Value Retail, who are the holding company for Bista Village, okay. and again worked in um, marketing and PR. There's parallels there with ethical fashion, which we might come on to later, which is to do with perception. So there's a big mm. perception about outlet shopping and it being the mm. market and it's quite a difficult thing to market yeah. in the same way that I think ethics people or, or ethical fashion sorry people have a preconception yes, about what sure. ethical fashion yeah. is all about um so there's always a little bit of um a challenge in terms mm. of talking about both of those things so I was there for five years meanwhile Steph worked in wholesale briefly in London before starting her own label in Sierra Leone working um, which is called Near Far so she actually went out she with her now husband um, to live in Freetown Sierra Leone um, and she set up a fashion label called Near Far working with tailors in mm -hmm. Sierra Leone which is obviously an incredibly poor country in Africa which has 
suffered hugely with the civil war um, and she was and there's, there's a great need for training and sustainable employment in in freetown so she worked with tailors there to produce a really beautiful collection of um african prints but with um i guess western tailoring yeah. tailoring yeah. Um, so she gained practical practical experience, I suppose, in the ethical fashion industry, that side. Um, she, she returned in 2014, um, having, in, in between time, I had been out to Freetown to see her, and I think we'd started up our conversation mm-hmm. about... Reignited that again, yeah. About yeah. Gather and See, um, which wasn't named then, but the <laughs> idea of bringing brands together, like her brand, which mm. she had discovered was quite... The, the challenges of that brand and getting that brand out to market in the UK. Yeah. And, and something we both realised, which was there isn't that many places to find ethical slash sustainable fashion it's, that you actually want to wear. I mean, it's quite difficult because there's lots of challenges around it. Not um, You don't always think of the challenges being so obvious. So, so being to free time myself, mm-hmm. I know that, you know, the actual transportation Transport. is a big thing. So it's yeah. not only skills, it's transport, it's access to the market. And there's a lot of different elements yeah. that make it possible yeah. for us in the UK or wherever we are to buy something. To buy something, yeah. exactly. I think Steph experienced that firsthand and, and obviously, you know, it seemed like a great idea and it was a great idea. And, and I, I think she did really, really brilliantly with it. But the logistics are very, very tricky. And I think it's given us an insight into what our brands, particularly the smaller scale brands face um, and how, and it's made us think now as a retailer, how we can support them and make things slightly easier. Mm-hmm. Um, so yes, roll on to 2013, I suppose it was when we actually put plans in place um, and decided, you know, actually enough is enough. We've been talking about this for over 10 years. Let's crack on and, and make this happen. Um, and I think uh, actually it was a it was a good time to do it. I think we we t- having talked about it earlier on, it was not quite the prime time. And I think 2013, post the 2008 crash, people are thinking more much more mm. carefully about what they're buying, mm-hmm. um, which is a great thing. Um, and I think we also were aware of more brands that were creating the kind of produce that we would like to um, promote or market in the mm-hmm. UK. Uh, there wasn't so much around before that mm-hmm. time. Um, can I just go back a little bit yeah. to, um, you and Steph have obviously started this as friends. How does that work in a business sense? Like how do you divide tasks and, and that kind of, you know, yeah. you've obviously got compatible tasks because it yeah. does work. So I think to start with, it was just, this is this idea, we're, we're just going to run with it. And it became quite immediate obvious what both of our uh, strengths were and we kind of split the tasks obviously there's still only two of us so um, we did have to split everything but I think it became quite clear that Steph's strengths were in the buying um, and the wholesale retail aspect and my experience in marketing and PR has meant that I'm more focused on the marketing and PR communications side of things and actually that that became really a very natural split mm-hmm. we're both involved in everything we put everything into it you know it's a big scary decision when you quit your job um, and and go into something like this um, and we both just have to put absolutely everything into it and we speak you know I speak to Steph more than I speak to my husband mm-hmm. quite frequently um, and 
how it, how is it you two um, manage to do it? Because obviously you don't live around the yeah. corner from each other. You don't share an office and that no, kind of thing. Exactly. How does that work? With well, to start with, she was still in Sierra Leone and everything was on email. And <laughs> the few things got lost a day in translation. Later, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, and then now we can't. I mean, I come down to London. I'd say once a week, and we'll have a good day working together. Um, and otherwise, it's just. On, we do a lot via messenger mm. um, a lot of email and just a lot of phone calls mm. I think that's one of the great things about working with your best friends is that um, you know each other inside mm. out and so I can there you, I, you don't have that need to I guess develop a relationship it's already there so there's a lot that I, I can kind of predict what Steph's going to say before she says it and vice versa and I think we bounce off each other quite well um, from that point of view um, I think that actually does really help I think sometimes it's hard from another point of view to kind of switch them back into friend mode because you're in work mode a lot of the time and we find ourselves at, I don't know, we'll be at a drinks party and we're talking about gather and see. So sometimes I think you have to make time for your friendship mm. alongside your business. It's almost like you need to go and have a date. Yeah, <laughs> date night, yeah you know? it really, really is. Um, but I wouldn't change it for the world. I think it's it really is at the core of our business in that sense that it's something that we've grown up believing in um, and wanting to do so passionately. And, and it's a real, um, I guess it's something that really comes from, from both of us inherently. Um, mm-hmm. And it's a real joint effort in every sense of the word. Um, yeah. how, how do you make it all work with, because I know you've both got, well, one toddler and yes. one sort of four or five month old. How does that all yeah. factor into life? It's been a new, definitely a new challenge for us. I think in some ways it's made us more focused and more driven. I think suddenly having a child means that you're thinking, I don't know, you, you think about your, sounds a bit silly, but your place in the world and, and what you're producing um, and you want to use your time. You don't have as much time. So when you do have time to work, you want to, use it well um so I think it's made us more focused more driven obviously we've had to think about logistics a lot more um I work some kind of interesting hours <laughs> uh, one of the great things about being an online business um is that you can and so I can sit and do my emails at five o'clock in the morning if that's what works for us that particular day um and it, it seems to be working at the moment it's it's being flexible as well um Steph's obviously quite new to motherhood she's only five months in so we have to see how each each month goes yeah Yeah. but I think I wouldn't I wouldn't want to be doing anything else and I think it's hopefully it's a sustainable business that will work as our families continue Mm. to grow yeah um coming back to so we talked about the the marketing aspect of things and the brand perception of ethical clothing and obviously that leads quite naturally on to the sorts of brands that you select. So um, I know that you were one of the first retailers to stock certain brands yeah. and now that, um, you know, there's a lot more there's a lot more retailers on the market yeah. trying to do this sort of similar thing or stock similar brands. So how do you, number one, come up with who you decide to stock? Yeah. So, you know, your five philosophies, Absolutely. your five pillars of of who you choose and then also how do you um find these brands and work with them so um yeah how how does that work yeah so I think in terms of finding the brands it is based around our five philosophies so we really put that together because 
we wanted to frame to our customers and make clear what we mean in terms of ethical fashion. It's, it is a bit of a grey area, I'm sure we'll come on to that. Uh, we just wanted to make it super clear, super concise, so we came up with five philosophies which are the things to us um, that our brands do that make them stand out. So those are organic, fair trade, eco-friendly, small-scale production and heritage. Um, so each of our brands has to fit into I'd say the majority of those five philosophies, most of them, in fact, I don't think any of them fit into all of them. I, mean, mm, it's I think difficult. it's kind of impossible to. Impossible. Yeah. <laughs> um, but what we're trying to do is just make it clear which ones um, they do fit into and therefore which which are the philosophies that matter to you as a customer. Um, you can then go, if it's organic, that is your thing, you can go and find all your organic brands. Um, so we, we have kind of, a bit of a, a questionnaire I guess or that we we go out to the brands and, and we get as much information from them as that as to their production um and how it is that they will fit into our philosophies now um we have quite a lot of brands coming to us as well in the beginning it was a lot of research um going to trade shows although that is like finding a needle in a haystack going to um some of the trade shows trying to find ethical brands um a lot of research went into it and does go into it still. Um, that's the on in terms of the ethical slash sustainable side of things. There's also the aesthetics, which is obviously incredibly important to us. In fact, it's our raison d'etre, really, is that it needs to look good or it's not going to sell. Um, the point is to be able to demonstrate to a fashion-savvy consumer that you can shop eth ethically and still shop stylishly. Um, so that's that's in some ways that's the first consideration we have and then we look into the production process um so that's really how we whittle down the brands mm -hmm. that we're going to stock so would you would you say that your um selection is a bit more focused on perhaps like a print and a bit more colorful and, yeah. and this kind of thing rather than I, just I you know quite so. neutral we've got we feel like we've got quite a strong identity in terms of choosing products that are unique that you're not going to find on the high street that is really quite special and um, a lot of our brands the majority of them are pretty small scale production a lot of them are one-off pieces that are printed by hand um, and I think that's quite an important aspect to gather and see is that it's not something you can find anywhere else um, so I think that finding something a little different from the norm as well is um, is one of our criteria that is going to really appeal to our customer um, and her aesthetics and her ethics, of course. Mm -hmm. So how do you say if someone else then stocks yeah. that brand? Yes. Um, how do you then move on or how do you work with that brand? Do you select different pieces? or I mean, it's yeah. very difficult to, to know we what do. to do. We've got really brilliant relationships with the brands and, uh, and actually with our competitors. Um, and so we will talk to the brands about what other people are stocking. I think another thing is to make sure that you're, you're constantly looking for new talent. Um, and, I, and so we'll always try and have a few brands that are at least exclusive to Gather and See in the UK. Um, I think that's what our customers come to us for, actually, is that something really different um, and unique. Uh, at the same time, some of the big brands like Veja, for example, we were hesitant about bringing them on board because you can find them everywhere. Actually, it's a great thing because new customers find you because they're looking for Veja. Um, and I think that there is a big enough demand to warrant different mm. um, retailers stocking 
various brands. I mean, if you look, if you go the other way and look at Net-A-Porter, Matches, Farfetch, they're all stocking plenty of the same brands and they're all doing perfectly well. So um, I, I, don't, so works, I don't necessarily yeah. see it as a problem. I think, you know, we, us and our competitors all have the common objective of, of really increasing the visibility of ethical and sustainable brands. Um, I think, yes, we, we all need to have our own identities and that's where these little unique brands that perhaps we only stock make a difference for us um, and other brands will have, other retailers, sorry, will have their own uh, USPs as well. It's just about really maintaining the visibility of what your USP is, who mm. your customer is and making sure that you're hitting the spot with the brands that you're selecting every mm. season. I think you've raised a really interesting point there, which was um, about the sort of collaborative side of things. So um, I know in your the blog, The Gatherer, you've showcased Daughter Lang, who, you know, obviously is a shop as well. Yeah. And I think um, as an industry, the sort of ethical and, and sustainable side of fashion is a lot more collaborative, or I'd like to think it is, and yeah. a lot more open, because that's what it's trying to promote at the end of the day. So... Um, you've said you don't see them as competition it, it's kind of we're all working towards yeah, something I, I really believe that and we we've sat down with our competitors and, and had great conversations with them and I think truly and honestly that there is absolutely room for us all and that it is we are um, working towards the same aim um, and I think it works to our advantage if we're working together and and kind of singing from the same hymn sheet, if you like, um, in terms of getting that message out there. Um, Daughter's a great example. She's, you know, she's a, a super inspiring. Um, she has brilliant style. And I think, why wouldn't we work with her? She has the blog as well um, as the shop. Uh, we've got actually very different brands to her, mm. but n- not that that particularly matters. Um I just think it's the we really need to kind of pull together as a general movement um, for ethical and sustainable fashion, um, and I think yeah, it's it's refreshing and it is is one of the nicer aspects of, of being in this particular industry. Do you think that's changed um, perception? So you know we mm. were talking about marketing perception mm. of mm. Um, the ethical side of fashion. You know, you said at LVMH, you sort of witnessed different things. So could you just talk a a little bit about... Yeah, absolutely. I think when we first started talking about this uh, way back when, there there was a bit of a preconception, and whether rightly or wrongly, I think probably rightly, um, that ethical fashion was perhaps a little hippie. It wasn't necessarily the most luxurious. Um, It was perhaps a slightly older market. Um, and I think there weren't necessarily the brands about that that really appealed to a more fashion-conscious consumer. Um, I think that that is... Well, we're seeing it with the brands that we're stocking changing um, and is continuing to change for the better, and we've got now a younger group of sustainable fashion bloggers for example Mm. which never existed five ten years ago um that are really demonstrating that there is a way to shop stylishly and sustainably um and that's i think so beneficial and and so great for the for us um, as retailers and for the for the general ethical fashion movement um it's much younger it's cooler um, more desirable and I think really to compete in this social media world and, and visually you've got to be um, on that level 
um, if you want to appeal to the millennial customer mm. Mm. further down the line, which is we're all going to have to, um, then you need to be uh, visually and aesthetically in tune with them, I guess, as well as um, in terms of your communications and what, and what you're saying. Mm-hmm. How, um, thinking about customer and also, you know, globally, mm. how do you deal with, because yes, you're UK based, yeah. but you have a global product yeah. that comes in from all different areas. Yeah, you um, appeal to a global market because yeah. you ship back out. Yeah. So how do you deal with logistics, not in term, just in terms of um, shipping, but more mm. in terms of, you know, the brand? So some are in Southern Hemisphere, some are yeah. Northern. Like, how does that work exactly for you? Exactly, the buying. Um, we just have to be quite careful about um, when we are doing the buy. Um of having quite a, a range that will be um, that could appeal to both, I suppose. Uh, Kowtow is a great example of a brand that is based in the southern hemisphere. They're New Zealand based. One of um, my favourite sold out. Yeah, Kowtow <laughs> are one of our favourites. They've been um, we've stocked them from the very beginning. Uh, it's all organic and fair trade cotton. Um, ethics and sustainability really runs through the very core of that brand, but they do it in a very um, cool, very Subtle, minimalist, yeah. current way. Yeah. It's um, they're really one of our favorites. Not that you're meant to have favorites, but um, so what we will do is pick from obviously their season. If they're um, summer, we're in winter, so we'll pick the slightly heavier weight pieces. I'm actually wearing a cowtow dress that is it's a knitted dress um, from organic cotton that I've layered. So the way that we style it online, um, we shall make it. Um, appropriate for the season that we're going into equally somebody might be in Australia and buy from us it, it, you know we have Australian customers we have um, customers in the US um, so it's, it's finding I guess it's just ensuring that the buy can appeal to all the other thing is that uh, it's will carry certain pieces over um, and we do have an outlet section as well as so where um, you can buy previous seasons which I think helps to um provide an answer to that particular issue as well did that um did that sort of come about from you know you saying the Bista village type of thing yeah, can you yeah. Just, yeah yeah I have to say actually they're doing in some ways they are doing a service in terms of uh, having seen the amount of stock that is left over per season and having heard some terrifying stories about what happens in certain particularly high-end labels with um, yeah. overstock. They'd rather just burn it than yeah. sell it, yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. So I think it is, um, it's our absolute obligation to look after leftover stock. There is always some sort of leftover stock um, and outlet is a perfectly good way to do that. And um, yeah, that's definitely... Mm-hmm. Uh, an important aspect I think to any retail business I think you need to have a, a, a way to display and yeah. to, um, to yeah sample sales yeah. and different sales sample in general sales yeah. Are great. yeah and also actually it's a really good way of if people can't quite afford it introducing people to the brands yeah. and so on that they can afford and then you know exactly at, at a later yeah, date they can all, they're not all cheap yeah, yeah. um Thinking a little bit about what's next for you guys. So um, 
we've said in the past uh, that pop-ups have been yeah. important to you, yeah. collaborations, working together in the industry, that sort of thing. So yeah. what's what's on the horizon? Absolutely. So pop-ups is something that we, we absolutely love doing pop-ups. I think as an online retailer, you get used to being stuck behind the screen. And so to meet our customers at first hand and to be able to show them the product at first hand is always um, it's always really special. So we've done various pop-ups in the past, which have been really successful. And um, we are going to be uh, putting together a roster of pop-ups for 2018, um, definitely in London. We're looking to potentially do a few outside of London as mm. well. We've got quite a, a wide Manchester seems to be yeah. bubbling. I can, you Manchester know, yeah. definitely is. And mm. uh, so we're, we're looking to do... A Maybe few Newcastle, yeah, I think. Yeah, yeah. no. <laughs> Uh, so yes, pop-ups are on the horizon. Um, we're looking to develop the website. Um, I think there's, you know, there's so much possibility in terms of technology and we have to be really trying to keep ahead mm. of the game, I guess. And we, you know, we launched in, in 2014. That's now three years ago, going on, going on four. So um, we'll be looking to do some website developments this year as well, which is quite exciting. Um, yeah, things yeah. change, don't they? You know, and and yeah. it's technology gets outdated and stuff quite quickly. Yeah. And it's, I mean, the difficult thing as well is when you've actually invested time and money into something. Um, how, you know, as a small business, it's such a big part to take yeah, on, and, it and is. you know, to it develop. Is. And what's the best thing for your customer and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, so, is there anything you want to tell us that you, uh, you know, hiding or anything exciting coming up apart from the pop ups or any we're new looking, brands or look, what yeah, you're looking for? Absolutely, or? we're looking to work with um, some young designers. I think we need to incentivize them to work ethically and sustainably. I think there should be more funding and, and at, like I say, incentives. Um, perhaps the British Fashion Council could be doing more than it is. Um, so it's something that we're looking to doing is to work with um, young designers and potentially be showcasing their collections on Gather and See. It also gives us something new and different to offer our customers. So it's a really um, a, a kind of mutually beneficial um, activity yeah I think you know young designers are the sort of like bigger brands of the future and you really yeah. need to encourage and support and I think that also government need to get involved so yeah. something that I've been getting involved with uh, recently is something called fashion roundtable um, and actually it's staggering to know that we don't have that much representation in government and um, fashion roundtable are actually looking to change that so um but, you know, the lifeblood of the industry is, you know, up and coming designers and emerging designers and yeah. things like that. And obviously the British Fashion Council have their part to play in that. But their remit is very niche, yeah, as in it's, yeah. you know, it, if they're showcasing someone, it's already they've got like three international stockists or something like that or a certain amount of um, distribution and, and, yeah. and that. And it, it's kind of even before that stage, you need to exactly. support and develop and promote. So yes. I think, yeah, that's really exciting. It's that, something know. we'd love to work on and, yeah. um, and hopefully in 2018 it will happen. Yeah, <laughs> I'm sure it will. Brilliant. Thank you so much, Alicia. Um, and I'll see you very soon. I'm really looking forward to watching Gather and See evolve this year. They have the opportunity to grow with their existing customers and brands while introducing a new wave of designers to the market. 
I hope you've enjoyed our first podcast of 2018. We have some incredible guests lined up to be interviewed on the podcast and featured online at blackneondigital.com. Till next time, join the conversation via Instagram at blackneondigital, Twitter at digitalneon and blackneondigital.com. Digital.com.